Happy Black History Month, and what is up? This is Press X to Start Podcast Season 6, Episode 5. Press X to Start Podcast is an audio and video podcast seeking to transform the video game media landscape through an underserved and protected point of view. Restorative justice for the underrepresented programmers, developers, and consumers. As I said, I am your host, DJ, a.k.a. Sexy Bad Choices. Also, because it's Black History Month and I, I do the thing that I do, do you know who Andrew Augustine is? Anyone on the cast have any idea? No? Okay. Andrew Augustine is a game developer. He worked on Sims 3 Pets. So if you Whoa. play Sims, yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, he is a founder of Notion Games. He is Forbes 30 Under 30 2015 honoree in games. He's a creator of Super Ubi Island, Team Notion, and Up Up Ubi Remix. He has a website, uh, Notion Games. You should definitely check it out. It's really cool. It's, it's almost built as like a little mini game kind of thing. And right. like, I just quickly looked at it. It was, it's really awesome. So definitely check it out, notiongames.com. We're not doing any kind of marketing or anything for this person, <laughs> but um, it's just really cool. Well, you had yeah. me at Sims 3 Pets. I love the Sims. <laughs> I was a kid. Truly, I, I mean, truly, I, I truly love the Sims. I love to work well, right? And that's cool. We worked with them. Hey, yeah. Cool. All right. So, who are you? It's your boy Jordan coming back from the slumber. I have a few <laughs> updates in terms of what I'm playing that you'll hear later. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's see. Um, mm, mm. Jordan, aka JXBot, aka Cyberpunk 2078. Oh. Looks like someone got an update. <laughs> Looks like somebody got an update. We're back in it, baby. <laughs> Third person here. I'm Avery. Nailed it. <laughs> no AKA needed. Look at that. And last up. Last but not least, I'm Hashim Hathaway, better known as Shimbo. Uh, proprietor, owner, CEO, all the acronyms of Never Dawn Radio Network. You can find at neverdawn.net. We are currently undergoing some uh, changes, some cosmetic changes that will be mm. hopefully released uh, end of March. Looking forward to it. But uh, hey, we'll see. You know, it's always a, an uphill climb. Mm. Hey, we know we know exactly how that is. Right. <laughs> uh, again, what's the web address? Neverdaunted.net. Neverdaunted.net. Yep. Right. OK, cool. Um, all right. Well, that is who we are. The things we'll be talking about today are Sony celebrating players for playing Horizon Forbidden West in a very green way. We'll be giving our impressions on Horizon Forbidden West. And then for the heavy hitter, we're actually going to split that off into a separate cast because we plan on having a pretty, pretty deep conversation about the console wars and where we stand right now. And that's about it for the cast. It should be a good one. Should be a good one. All right. Well, with that being said, let us jump into the quickets Avery take it away yes okay so it's me doing quick hits now thank you for bearing with me uh, I know with a weird transition last week but I promise it will get better you made it work okay so uh, <laughs> number one story we have here is from Cat Bailey from IGN we have a uh, Nintendo 3DS and Wii U eShops will be discontinued in 2023 it's very comparable to when PlayStation said the PS3 and the PSP stores were going to be discontinued, and then they eventually reversed that after a lot of hollering from the audience. That being said, this is Nintendo, so we can't really guarantee they're also going to make those situations known. Very true. Well, uh, but, question, Avery. With the shutdown of the store, did I lose access to the content that was on there? Uh, I don't know the exact details, but I do believe that any content that you haven't downloaded no, I think you should be able to re-download content. You're just not going to be able to go into the store to buy any other content. Okay. Yeah. All right. The greater mindset of the video game higher sphere on Twitter is that this is awful. Nintendo is an organization with million, not even million, probably a billions in a war chest. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. They're, they're so, the, yeah. so the idea that they can't afford to keep these stores alive going forward is uh, not a good look. I'm of the mindset, however, the old game is old, and that okay, we, here comes that <laughs> again. We we've moved we've moved on. <sighs> if there if there are any games of real value on those stores, Nintendo will eventually figure out a way to move it forward. 
and or monetize it forward, monetize. Oh, and here, and, and, and my, and my, yeah, and my final thought on that is that this is Nintendo. How many times have people bought Mario sixty four over and over and over again? Nothing about their marketing and or their customer base has told them any other way that if they just resell it on another store, people aren't going to buy it. Avery, yeah. if I can't connect my Nintendo sixty four to my Samsung Q seventy five. Then it's fucking horseshit, and the world's wrong. <laughs> the world's wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how to connect my GameCube to my Apple. Uh, don't work. <laughs> <laughs> no one else has any other thoughts on this. I mean, no, no. so here, like, I guess. Okay, my thought is, I think this is okay. Okay. I'm sorry if this offends anyone, but you've had more than enough time of downloading these games, right? Yes. So I kind of feel like them discontinuing it now is like, at least they're saying, hey, you have a year to get the games that you want. After that, like, go pirate the stuff. We'll find you and we'll we'll arrest you anyways. (laughs) That is is Nintendo's risk, not not, not the consumers. But I also... The, the the other issue is, you know, this is Wii U and, and Nintendo 3DS. The Nintendo 3DS had the two screen stuff happening, right? Yes. So, that's, yeah. so a lot of Nintendo 3DS content is stuck on Nintendo 3DS. The Wii U had touch. Yes. Right, right. So yeah, most the, of the, yeah. Most of that yeah, content I, is locked to the platform it was made. Right. And I feel like the Wii U it had the stylus, but maybe that stuff can be turned over to just normal touch control. So maybe there's a possibility of that stuff coming to switch later on, but it is going to be a thing of Nintendo cherry picking what games they want to spend their money on. Hopefully, you know, it hits with the consumer base, but yeah, sucks. Sucks for people who care about this. How much longer are we sure that the switch is going to last? Because I think, and this will come up when we discuss console wars. I think that no matter how popular it is now, Look how popular the Wii was. And the Wii did not have a very long life. Now, well, the Switch actually- has had a longer life by default, but if Nintendo isn't ready to make a change based on differences in technology or things that they want to add, they are much more likely to just present a new console or a new machine altogether as opposed to creating more peripherals for the Switch. That goes into like Nintendo's blue ocean strategy, whatever they call it, to which they are like completely outside of what Microsoft and Sony are doing in terms of their hardware release schedule as a way to protect themselves. They tried it with the GameCube the last time, just really stick. Right. And also, um, no, we came out in a different year than the PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah. Before we move on to the next story, to Shimbo's point about the future of the Switch, we could probably talk about that more in our heavy hitter. But that is something that's going to be interesting in the wake of this type of news and in the wake of both Microsoft and Sony being more compatible going forward. It's very interesting to see where we're going with the Switch, specifically from because of the difference between physical hardware that it's using in terms of actual like games and its internal digital stores. So yeah, uh, uh, let me, okay, so before jumping into the next story, I just wanted, just to answer Shimbo's um, question, I think the answer would have been very simple. It would have been that Nintendo is perfectly fine. Like, Nintendo lives in the second console in your home spot, and they operate in that capacity. I think the thing that complicates that answer now is the fact that people are getting their hands on the Steam Deck, and the Steam Deck is, like, literally the Switch Pro in terms of the power that it can produce and, and all this stuff. And I think mm-hmm. we've uh, Nintendo never really had a decent competition when it came to their handhelds. And, you know, PlayStation tried. It didn't, didn't happen. But um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next Switch, because by that time, there should be some level of review for the Steam Deck in the general public. Because I don't think we're going to get a, a new, like a Switch 2 in the next, like, two years or so. Well, no. And, I, I, yeah. and, and I'm of the mind that I don't think you're going to get one at all. I think that it's mm. the next iteration is going to be something different. And Nintendo has succeeded when they've done different. That's true. The Wii That's true. was completely different 
than what Sony and Microsoft were doing by a point. And it was wildly successful. Right. And at this point, Nintendo has no desire to compete. They don't have the power to compete. They don't have the third-party licensing to compete. So there's no reason to compete, especially if we can do the Nintendo thing that we do so well that no one else is doing because they don't really want to do it. So they're just letting us do it. And because we're doing it very well, we will be that second console in your home. And which right, means right. in some ways it's a first console because it has no competition. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They're just, it doesn't exist. And so I look to Nintendo to say, we're going to release something in an off year and it's going to feature a technology that no one else is using. And because we spend all our time and effort focusing on the application of this technology, the games are going to be really enjoyable and it's not going to feel artificial. Right. Yeah. And then on top of all of this, on top of Nintendo doing Nintendo things, you can't ignore the fact that Nintendo is, you know, in, in some way, shape and form, kind of just working with Microsoft in terms of like, I think the first time we saw this kind of partnership happen was with Minecraft. And uh, Banjo-Kazooie. Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, the, the Rare collection or something like that. Like that was, that was one of the recent things where it's just like Microsoft or Nintendo's actually like working, not closely, but like there's some yeah. kind of relationship happening with Microsoft. And I think that could be something that we see down the line. Maybe Game Pass working on, you know, this next, iteration of switch i don't know that's overly ambitious only because i think while your thinking is very sound that's how you would want to do it i just believe that nintendo has way too much pride oh, to ever absolutely absolutely make those types of connections Never. See, they're not working right. together but their ships are traveling in the same direction we're not getting in your way you're not getting in our yeah. way yeah but we'll right, be damned right. If we're going to lend any level of commerce into a partnership that doesn't feature us first, we are still Nintendo. Yeah. yeah to that point right. about to point about Rare Replay, if Rare Replay was really built in the like spirit of camaraderie between these two companies, it would have had Donkey Kong 64 on it, which was a rare game. Oh, that, good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so our next story is from Liam Croft at Push Square. Uh, Sony is planting trees for unlocking Horizon Forbidden West trophy. Uh, I'm actually going to read most of this story because I think it's really cool, the details of it. So in collaboration with the Arbor Day Foundation, Sony will plant a tree in three deforested areas across the U.S. every time a specific trophy in Horizon Forbidden West is unlocked. It's called the Play and Plant Program and will help the reforestation efforts at the Douglas County Forest in Wisconsin, the Sheep Fire Private Land located in California, and the Torreya State Park of Florida. The trophy you are looking to unlock is called reach the dot which is yours roughly 90 minutes into the game and is part of the main story as such it's easy to unlock this trophy uh and contribute to the reforestation efforts nothing else is required of you in order to plant the tree it's estimated uh trees will be needed to repopulate the parks but the offers open until the 25th of march 2022 do the sales potential horizon this is one of those stories where it's like sony wants to make a donation so it also wants to get its uh, uh, customer base involved. So they right. made the barrier to entry so low that you might as well have just said, hey, man, we're just going to donate these trees. Yeah. Yeah. So this will, with all, you know, hopes, this should, this goal should just. No, they, they've already met. They've already met this goal. Oh, okay. Okay. Wait, I, was, I was surprised. Like, <laughs> they, the they wouldn't have just had, like planted a tree after the purchase of Horizon Forbidden West. But yeah, it's, 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 it does seem fairly proactive. No, no, no. You got to play the game in order for yeah, Sony for to some... actually. <laughs> because at the end of the day, they want you to play the game. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't just purchase it. Play it, and then we'll plan a trade. But on that point, Jordan, theoretically, how, how do you say this? There is possibility they would get more people playing to get this trophy than they would get more purchases of the game, if that makes sense. Because, mm. Interesting. Because if I buy Horizon Forbidden West on my console and I have five people assigned on that console and they all decide to play that game, that's five people getting that trophy individually on their PlayStation account versus the oh. one purchase of the... That's a good point. Yeah, it's a really cool story. In the spirit of Horizon and what that game is about, it's a really cool story. And then sort of an addendum to that, uh, we've got Rhiannon Bevan from The Gamer, Aloy's on the cover of February's Vanity Fair, <laughs> yeah. which 
I haven't seen things like this since that time Lightning was the spokesperson for, I want to say, Gucci ages ago. But like, I, it also reminds me of Laura Croft. <laughs> Laura Croft was on some, some magazine cover, too, when she was a thing. She was on the cover of Vogue. I remember that. Vogue. Oh, man. That's... I, okay. I mean, you know, yeah, I, me getting out of my own like critical brain like that's cool that's cool that that's just you know <laughs> more eyes on on video games yeah. that people have no idea like how how far we've come and and who does it hurt you know no matter how we get to this point who does it hurt nobody exactly exactly mm-hmm. that's a good point maybe the people who had to make the paper to make the uh, vanity fair magazine but you know Oh yeah, it kind of works backwards though. They're trying. Whoa, you fucking expose them. You're the magazine cover trying to plant trees. I see what you're doing, Sony. I fucking see you. How dare you? Okay, uh, so here are a couple of uh, quick hits involved in video game entertainment news, aka outside of actual the playing of games. We've got Matt Kim from IGN. Netflix announces the long-awaited Bioshock movie. Who's excited? How about a Bioshock sequel? I mean, Bioshock 2 was cheeks. Infinite was alright, <laughs> but 2 was cheeks. They instantly lost me at Netflix. I can't wait to see them in the same room over and over again with CGI water in the background. It's going to be fun. Uh, Nelly uh, and Driva at Deadline, uh, The Last of Us premiere date update on HBO game adaptation. Essentially, there was a yeah, HBO person involved in like the programming of HBO Max in HBO proper. We pretty much said, yeah, Last of Us is not coming out this year. We're still filming it, so we're probably going to see it next year. So that's just an update for you on Last of Us. Uh, Mark still has a chance of getting there. <laughs> They're still filming. <laughs> yeah. And, and people should feel good that it's not coming out until 2023. That means that the product is going to be one of some level of quality. Now, there's also the idea that now that HBO is not just programming for its own network, it's primarily programming for HBO Max. There's a lot of shit that's coming out between now and then that. Do I want to put this product, which is supposedly a prestige product, Last of Us is considered a prestige product. Mm-hmm. They don't want to run it up against things like Batgirl or the myriad of other things that are coming out genre-related directly through HBO Max. You're, you're, you're saying that Mortal Kombat, the movie, wasn't a prestige product because I'd be afraid it wasn't. No, and you know what? <laughs> uh, be, I mean, I know we're being funny about it, but I think that it is one of the great ironies of HBO Max is that putting Mortal Kombat on there in light of the pandemic made it so that there will be a sequel because they used a different metric to measure the level of success because for a brand new or relatively brand new streaming service, this was a gigantic boon for HBO Max. And so, yeah, you're going to put more product like that on your streaming network. But I can tell you this had Mortal Kombat, the film that was made that we saw, not released on a normal release schedule in theaters, it would have died a quick death. Oh, and yeah. oh, yeah. honestly, yeah. Snake Eyes, Snake Eyes yeah. disappeared in a puff of smoke. Mortal Kombat would oh, have yeah. to guarantee. As hard as I would try to make it to see by going to it ten times, yeah, it would have died. Yeah. I agree. Right. <laughs> as I move on to the next story, I will just say that Mortal Kombat probably should have died in the vine. Anyway, Mitchell Clark <laughs> and Emma Roth from The Verge. Halo TV show is already renewed for a second season. With an addendum from Kotaku, Halo TV show will reveal the Master Chief's face after decades. I, I just want to say one thing. Pedro Pascal is heated. That's all I have to say. He is heated. So wait, why, why, is, why is he mad? Because the Mandalorian, he was forced to wear the helmet all the fucking time. Of a character with no true backstory. Well, let's be honest. In that first season, he wasn't there on set most of the time. Yeah, but I mean, like, still, like you say, like he played that a kind of like, that is his character, that is his persona going into the Mandalorian. Master Chief never takes off his fucking helmet. We know yeah. it looks like when he was a kid and a teenager, but he's never taken off his helmet, and they're doing it right now. What the fuck, man? Keep the keep the mysterious. You know, here's the funny thing about that, and I, I, I mean, because this is more of a rhetorical question that is pointed at gamers. The only reason why he's never taken his helmet off is because as a first-person shooter game, there was no reason to. There's still cutscenes. We're using the mystery of an unwritten story because it just wasn't written. We didn't need to worry about it because you're Master Chief. I'm Master Chief. Well, yeah, to that point, he doesn't take off his helmet because you're supposed to be Master Chief. That being said, them making this decision 
has me already less enthused for this Halo show going into it. But think of the practicality of it, though. I mean, I want to ask this as a serious question because this is yeah. this is what happens with a lot of canon that we deal with in a show where we are actually not Master Chief. What is the utility and value of keeping Master Chief masked? Like, what is the inherent utility of that? Mm-hmm. There is none. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it is a different medium. I'm still trying to figure out where, like, where the fucking the history they are because clearly they're way before Halo Infinite and well, some, it, of, it, some well, of the events in Halo Three. Well, no, it's like it's alternate. It is an alternate presentation of the fall of Reach and after. Okay, got you. It's, okay. So to clarify some things, I agree with you on your point about the utility in different mediums and things like that. For me, it would have been a more, uh, I want to say, faithful choice to keep the Chief's helmet on in regards to the show, especially when they're going to surround him with a bunch of interesting characters for him to bounce off of. Right, but but faithful to what? Because at the end of the day, you need to believe in the lead, and the fact is, you need to make some sort of connection, the audience. Not just the audience who is used to playing Halo. You have to remember, they're making these shows for everyone to watch. And in order to make this show successful, the majority of the people who watch this show and love this show have to have never seen Halo or played Halo. Yeah, like my dad. I would argue in the wake of the Mandalorian, who in that first season only took off his helmet once for like 30 seconds, that you could fundamentally do this without needing to see your main character's face. So if you did that, then all of a sudden the argument would be is Master Chief is a ripoff of the Mandalorian because he never takes his helmet off. And that's what a TV network does not want. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, okay. I don't. Of course it's not going to happen because you're going to see his face. No, my, my, my point with the face thing is that in a movie like Iron Man, Tony Stark takes off his helmet all the time in situations where it's not you're talking to james rhodes five feet away from you you both have communicators in your helmet why are you both taking off your mask to have a face at one-to-one conversation that's there because these top billing these actors are movie stars and you want to show their face now no disrespect to the main actor playing master chief i believe he's from Orange and new black and he's like a a very uh pablo schreiber is a hell of an actor and the only reason people are upset about this is because what they really want what you really want is you wanted somebody to have steve down's voice on master chief on this show that's what people really really wanted oh yeah 100 <laughs> To move on to the next story and to just clarify some things. It's like, I'm not excited for this because I thought the first trailer was interesting to a point. And it's one of those things, I think I've been on record, at least in Carver conversations, the what makes Halo interesting isn't the story of the games, it's the story that was written around the games to justify things that happen in the games. Yeah. And Excellent point. And I would, I would have been super interested in someone doing the interesting version of Halo instead of rewriting it, but that's just me personally. Oh, like you actually, so, boom, you hit it right on the head. We knew that a Halo live action series could work because the Believe commercial ad campaign for Halo mm-hmm. 3 proved it. And they mm-hmm. did it by doing it in, in an apocryphal way where it's people explaining what they experienced. And it, and it was They also tried that in Infinite too. There's a few before Infinite. I, to I've they, seen and I thought it was very well done. And so we know that it could be done but the problem is, is that if you want to have Master Chief in the show as opposed to around the show, because you want to sell toys and you want to sell other IP where you have to have a strong lead character, you can't do an anthology series, even though an anthology series would probably be the best way to deal with Halo. And they did with um, Halo Legends. Yeah, that's what to say, like. I appreciate all the Halo talk, but I'm over, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to watch Halo with Paramount Plus because I don't have Paramount Plus. <laughs> that's that's another problem altogether. Anyway, so yeah, uh, final story in this little entertainment block is Ted Lichman from PC Gamer. Amazon signs a deal with studio producing Disco Elysium and Life of Strange shows. Essentially, what this means is if the future Disco Elysium show and the future Life of Strange shows will probably be Amazon Prime originals and will be debuting under those banners, which. For uh, which is another, I guess, feather in the cap of a growing arsenal of really strong shows coming out of Amazon Prime, which I think are really cool. Uh, I like Life is Strange. I like Le- Disco Elysium. I'm excited to see what both these shows look like. Disco Elysium is going to be a big ass because it's going to be saying, hey, everyone, you like communism? <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be an interesting ask. Yeah, I, 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 
I don't know. I, I, I am aware of both these properties. I know more Life and Strange I do Disco Elysium, but uh, hey, I have Amazon Prime, so <laughs> if, if it's good, I'll, I'll watch it. Well, I think that it's good that it exists because Amazon Prime, as compared to all the other major streamers at this point, don't really have much of an identity. They're building one. There's an identity. There's a significant identity change coming. But I think what you're seeing with these two acquisitions is just that idea of HBO Max came onto the scene and they gave us neighborhoods or networks or, or hubs. Yeah. And Amazon now wants to do the same thing. They want to create hubs which will just repurpose a lot of what they already have. Because I think one of the biggest critiques and complaints about the way Amazon Prime works now is that you don't really know the difference between the stuff you can just watch and the stuff that you have to buy because they're all so mixed in with one another, even though they do have their own verticals. Doing things like this is just smart because we're trying to get individual narrow audiences to latch onto things. And if we can get many different types of audiences, that's going to just bolster our own numbers. And it's, it's interesting to me about Amazon Prime because people don't necessarily pay for it on the monthly model as much as I just have Amazon and I'm paying for the whole package. But now that price is going up. So now you're going to see more people switch to the monthly. I just want to watch the thing. And bringing these sorts of properties in really helps to solidify a consumer base that's going to go and move to a monthly model. Yeah. Okay, and uh, the next story is from Nicole Carpenter at Polygon. Activision Blizzard accused of union busting amid Raven QA hearing. Uh, essentially, Activision Blizzard and Raven QA software are looking to define employees eligible for Game Workers Alliance, which I believe is their the proto-union that they're trying to form. Uh, the union group formed in January with the assistance of communi- CWA, Communication Workers of America. The National Labor Board, since... Uh, time travel is weird with this show. This is an ongoing story, so I'm not even going to talk about when this started and when this ended. But the uh, union representatives have brought in concerns because one of the things beyond just Activision Blizzard sending out weird emails about, hey, man, don't join the union. They also pretty much did a thing where they restructured all the QA individuals from their own group into separate groups under different departments. Essentially, essentially separating them as a group and putting them into different verticals of like who they interact with and uh, essentially work with on a regular basis, which is a very interesting to continue to see, especially in a post-Microsoft acquisition, see a lot of these stories continue. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it's fascinating that this is being categorized as communication workers of America. Like, that, I wonder if this is going to be an avenue for other technology-based professions to go through because we see like the overall makeup of unionization a lot of them are in i'm gonna say like blue collar jobs is a lack of a better term but service industry jobs um retail jobs would have unions associated with it so it's interesting that the communication workers of america are there but them actually using tactics like avery justice clothes will most likely lead to lawsuits further down the line if this does go through like they're playing a fire right there like that is a deliberate tactic in taking away workers' rights. And also, where is Activision Blizzard? Which state are they in? Because <laughs> that's another question I've had. If they, if, I mean, like, in terms of, like, where this is happening, that could influence a lot of whether or not it's a right-to-work state or, California. you know, it's California. So California is not right-to-work. So that means that, yeah, they're fucking around fire right now, boy. They're, they're not right-to-work, but there's something in it's called PAGA. And what mm. you can do is you can file at the state level, and if it meets a certain criteria or merit, it'll stay within state court. Or if it doesn't, it could be removed to federal court. So depending on what they are charging, if it's an EEOC charge, then the federal, I mean, it could go to federal court and it could cause a lot of problems in that respect. I think that the fear was that Microsoft purchasing would hinder the overall unionization effort that was taking place prior to the purchase. But we know for a fact that Microsoft, while they have had issues with labor in the past, they have collectively bargained on contracts for a number of different suppliers. This will bring into question, though, how heavy of a hand Microsoft is ultimately going to have 
with Activision Blizzard. If you look at Bethesda, yes, they own Bethesda, but Bethesda is still operating as an individual entity for the time being. Right. So with this, does Microsoft even feel like they want to step up for this fight? As the proprietor, as the owner, at some point down the line, they may have to, but they can also just let the process play out. And if they like what the result is, if it's a union they can deal with, then they might just let it happen and not even be worried with it until it comes time to go to the negotiating table. Yeah, based on Phil Spencer's language, he's been very hands off, like trying to give them like a, a little bit of flexibility if any if, if if something actually comes of them unionizing and it hindering their work. Like Phil Spencer, he's been fairly quiet about support or non support, because right. I'm not going to lie. Microsoft is fairly known to be a cult. Like in terms of their their style, like Microsoft yeah. is a lot of its brand internally on everything that is being done with that mentality. They're like, whatever is done over there, they want to make sure it is integrated into this cult, even though Bethesda is still its own thing. It's still being integrated into the Microsoft cult. So it, it's largely dependable on how much of a hand they want to have on it at this point. I think at some point they would want to not have any union whatsoever but if it's for a specific group and they know they can do business with them and it's easier to do that then they'll do it just because it makes more sense financially and it's not a pr hit that they you know microsoft is very very wary of anything that's going to cause trouble for them i mean just think yeah. about what happened with xbox live the minute that the public said hey i think you guys are starting to rob us now then they completely backtracked on their plans, which were very necessary plans to get Game Pass. I mm -hmm. wonder if they would have made these sorts of purchases the way they have if they didn't have the opportunity prior to get people converted over to Game Pass. If the idea is they're buying these companies because they want to bolster Game Pass, then if it would have happened earlier, they may not have had to make the purchases that they had to make when they made them. Uh, okay, and that is the last of our quick hits. Well, that has been the quick hits. Now it's time for a word from our sponsors. It's us. What's good, y'all? Have you been enjoying this episode so far? Would you like to make sure that you keep getting the best laughs, latest news, and most fire takes? Then we're going to need your help. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show. And if you have, then tell three people about the podcast. Could be strangers, friends, loved ones, hated ones, your Uncle Jim, I don't know. Every little bit helps. And after you've done that, please follow us on Facebook at Press X number two start, Instagram at Press X number two start, Twitter at Press X number two S, and YouTube at Press X to start TV. And if you've already done all this, well done. Platinum trophy achieved. And now let's talk about the games we have been playing. All right. So as we said at the uh, start of the cast, we have been playing Horizon Forbidden West. Um, this is going to be a, a mix of impressions. So Avery has dedicated much of his soul to this game. So he is much farther in this game than I am. Uh, so Avery, you go ahead and you just start. You go ahead. What's your, what's your thoughts on this game so far? I am somewhere between 30 to 40 hours into this game. I'm not golden pathing it. I am exploring it as uh, it comes. Uh, when I say I know life a game, I'm not kidding you. I took off Friday specifically for this matter, uh, for my office job to start working in this. And I misunderstood uh, how my post 30 identity would react mm. to uh, no life in a game. So that's something I have to stay abreast of going forward. Yeah. That being said, <laughs> I love this game. Mm. Like I went through a litany of emotions with it in regards to how I felt about this game, but I'm now on the other side of all that saying like, as someone who loved Horizon Zero Dawn and it's my favorite first party franchise to emerge out of the PlayStation 4 generation. They have knocked it out of the park in regards to this sequel, at least so far as I'm in this game. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the gunplay of the bow and arrow 
skill is as fun as ever. The sort of mechanical uh, difficulty of all the individual enemies is still as uh, exciting as ever. There are way more machine types in this game. In fact, old machine types are in this game, but there are so many new ones that like you have to wait a second and be like, oh yeah, this was in the old game. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think from a world standpoint, they have 100% knocked every other game out of the park in regards to building an open world. Like when this game <laughs> launches, I thought it was a pre-rendered cutscene with how good the open world looked. And then yes. I saw someone describe the open world in this game as noisy. That's interesting. And like, it's because everything is so dense. Okay. It takes you a while to just understand the readability of what everything is around you. Real quick, just, there's real there's quick. a term for that. There's a term for that that they use, um, like where they really make sure the environment's active. But yeah, that's not, I'm yeah. glad they're doing that. So uh, at the beginning of the game, like one of the intro intro places, you can you, there's an opportunity for you to open um, the trunks of cars. Mm. And when I got to that section, I was like, oh, it's just destroyed cars. Cool. And then I saw a prompt. I was like, wait, I can interact with this thing. <laughs> and then I just went around and started opening the cars. It's just like I didn't even like there was no real indication of like, there is. yeah, you can interact. Is there, there is. There are butterflies over anything that you can interact with. Oh, oh shit! That's yeah. That's what I was talking about with the readability. It took me a while to understand how this game wants to communicate to me with how dense and like lifelike wow. its environments are. I think the term I was going to use is lived in. I think there's a mm-hmm. term that that could be used for that. And, mm-hmm. yeah. I think the narrative does the exact same bullshit that Horizon Zero Dawn did, and it presents you a really cool sci-fi story and it just keeps amping up the like wtf factor till you get to a point i want to say one third of the game i'm like i cannot believe this is what this game is going to be about okay (laughs) okay like there there's a specific message i put in our group chat about being annoyed by a certain actor being revealed to be in this game because at like the one third part there's like a voicemail and like because i knew this actor was in this game like oh this is who's talking okay then this makes this make sense. This makes this make sense. Like I had already guessed what the like the first horizon. I couldn't I couldn't tell you what the end of that game was till they revealed itself to me. This one they telegraphed it really early on what this game was going to be about. But the way it keeps moving, it's like okay, okay. This is what this, this is the sci-fi story we're going on. I think they do a continue on that point of uh, narrative and fidelity. I think they've taken a step up with uh, sort of the interactions between characters. In this game, I remember the first Horizon having the very static Fallout level. Here's a, a medium wide shot of your torso up as you're having a conversation with another person. Medium wide shot, torso up. That was the conversation. Now mm. there are much more wider conversations. Characters are emoting and like mm. uh, dynamically moving around the scene and much more. So like they're actually having a real conversation. Returning characters are also presented in the same fidelity as the old ones. I think the whole Varl showing up with a beard at the beginning of the game was just a flex on them being like, hey man, this character, we put this beard on this character. Look how good it looks. Yes. Yeah. We were having a conversation uh, about how good all the individual characters look in this game. And I think this is a game is not going to be a benchmark for an open world game and how like NPCs visually look. Like, we cannot go back. Every, char- every hero character, who I say a character with a name that you're going to have empathy prompt with, looks amazing. Like, so amazing that, like... Uh, the fidelity. The, the fidelity. Just, yeah. It's yeah. so amazing that when uh, there's one character who starts talking, and, like, I looked at her, and I'm like, huh, she sounds a lot like this ex-voice actress. Huh, she looks a lot like ex-voice actress. I wonder if this is ex-voice actress. It is X-Force Actress. And I was able to <laughs> recognize that because of how good the character ends up looking in this game. I've like, been just I, I just wanted to tack on to that because, like, yeah, like, I've been raving about, like, for me, I think this is the best-looking game that I have ever played in my whole life. Like, the as Avery was saying, the way that the people emote, it's, like, it's so captivating. Like, there was a in um what is it it's chain 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 scrape chain scrape yeah there is a um conversation that you have with 
one of the guys. And he is, I feel like he's giving the best performance of his life. And it is just so, it's so crazy to see because he's like, he's he's talking to Aloy. He he steps away from Aloy. He looks at the camera. He's doing all this stuff with his hands. And it's just like, what am I watching? Like, this is not even like a mainline quest. Like, what is happening? Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 amazing. It's amazing. Go ahead, Avery. Yeah, so Aloy herself, I think that she still remains one of the best characters PlayStation ever created. She's even more realized in this game in a way where she's still the lawful neutral character that she's always been in which she has a point of view and she's going to ram that point of view down. But this is also a game that challenges that perspective of who Aloy is as a character and has other characters rationally uh, like uh, react to sort of like the way the character of Aloy per- presents herself and I think a super reasonable way. Like, uh, minor spoiler, this game is six months after the original Horizon Zero Dawn. And when you start interacting with other characters, it's clear that Aloy just dipped after the end of that game. You beat that boss mm-hmm. and the immediate end of that game is Aloy just left, she didn't tell anyone what she was doing, she just walked away to do her job because she's important. And every character you interact with is like, Aloy man, like, why did you do that? <laughs> What's wrong? I thought we were friends. And it's like this really interesting dynamic that sort of makes you question the nature of Aloy's character to the point where there are moments in this game where she's reasonably trying to get her point of view forward, but I'm still sitting there going like, just take it down the peg. You're being a bit too unreasonable right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Okay, so as it is right now, like Avery, you are, I, I think I've put maybe like four or five hours into the game. <laughs> so I'm not anywhere near like able to really, really talk about too much of the story. Um, I think I I can't talk about the gameplay that I've experienced so far. And it was one of those things for me where when I first boot up Horizon, I definitely haven't played Horizon 1 since it released. So I was just kind of scraping the back of my memory to kind of remember like what was the flow of this game. And when it came to bow combat, the last thing that I really played with bow combat was, I think, Kenna. I think... Either Kenna or yeah, yeah, it was Kenna. It was Kenna because Ghost came out at, before Kenna. Yeah. So like that was kind of in the back of my mind in terms of like, okay, well maybe I should do this and this with the bow kind of thing. So it was it was very much so a learning process for me to reteach myself how Horizon plays, right? And I got up to that point, and now that I'm at that point, like this game the gameplay it is just spectacular like the things you're doing the fact that you know the the robots will put some work to you if you are just thinking that you can just tank through everything so i love the fact that like they're still dangerous even the baseline robots that you fight the borrowers like they can still really hurt you so i'm i'm having a great time with this by next episode i'll I'll have way more hours put to this game and really be able to talk about the one third that the sci-fi stuff like i i'm i'm looking forward to that but yeah overall having a great time with the game yeah so jordan um you you didn't play forbidden west you you played zero dawn no oh yeah it's not about that little thing like i played a different type of horizon i'm usually you hear me talk about forza horizon Mm five Mm-hmm. Um, but now I am playing a different Horizon being Zero Dawn. And yeah, I am I'm enjoying it. This is my first time playing it. I did say I was gonna, you know, play it in the past. Um I kept myself fairly ignorant. No, not ignorant, but I, I you know, I just didn't want to cloud myself with any type of other reviews or anything like that. I, I truly wanted to get into this as pure as possible, which is very difficult because of how popular and successful this game is. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no, it's it's a it's a spectacle. Um, I'm interested to see how the world opens up. I mean, like, I think the concept of having not just like a post-apocalyptic world, but a new world setting um, is something that's very compelling to me in terms of a sci-fi game. And yeah, I mean, you know, DJ Napache talked about how poorly the game handles stuff like that. I'm not detecting that, you know, like in terms of combat and, you know, aiming and stuff like that, it's fairly rewarding when it comes to practice, when it comes to, you know, doing well like it's, it's a good it's mm-hmm. not punishing either um yeah. but like getting so, real, through... real quick, I, I will say that um the the problem that i had with the melee for um horizon 2 
was that the heavy attack, there's two, there's, there's a normal heavy attack and then there's a charge heavy attack, right? The charge heavy attack, I think in, also the heavy attack, they both um, lock on to the nearest enemy. Mm-hmm. And there's no there's no actual indication of a lock on. So you might be facing one way, thinking that you're going to do the heavy attack in a direction, but Aloy might turn around completely and attack someone that's behind them because that person is or that and that robot is like the closest robot. So for me, it was kind of inconsistent. So in one point of the level, you drop this boss like enemy and. I went to do the heavy attack and it didn't really it didn't really happen the way I thought it would happen. And I ended up like inside of the boss. Uh, phrasing. And I was just like, what's happening here? But then Avery told me that like, yeah, there was a charge heavy and there was a normal heavy. And I didn't know there was a charge heavy. So there was just a lot of stuff happening. And I didn't realize that I had this other ability. And I thought I was using the ability that I thought I was using. But I was using a different ability. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean... Even though I only played three hours of Zero Dawn, I'm more than confident I'm be buying, you know, Forbidden West once I've completed it. You know, like it's it's a very very fun game. Though there have been funny moments to which um, I would try to leave the conversation, um, but the conversation was being held on the side of a cliff, to which I uh, pressed the dodge button and jumped off a cliff. And Aloy is not Avor or or Cassandra from from Assassin's Creed, to which they can survive. You know, long falls. Uh, they 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 will die immediately. But yeah, Zero Dawn is very fun, and um, you know, I I don't think I'll be on the next cast. We go deeper into Forbidden West just to keep it as um, pure as possible. But yeah, this is a this is an amazing game, and that's what I've been yeah. playing. Okay, awesome. Okay, so uh, Shimbo, you have been playing not Horizon. Well, I've been playing uh, Halo Infinite, the multiplayer. I've yet to play the campaign because I haven't paid for it. I'm, normally when I get a, a shooter, a AAA shooter, I will just go through the storyline first just to prepare myself for multiplayer. But in this case, it was the other way around. I think this is going to be for many games at this point where you just dive in and play it. And I had been away from him. I didn't play or purchase Guardians in any way, shape, or form. So I never had that multiplayer experience. So it had been a bit of a... It was a re-education to really learn how to play the game, the culture, the kind of way in mm. which people play the game. It's different than something like Overwatch. The way in which Overwatch is you know, primarily a team-based pursuit, whereas only some Halo games are team-based. So you get the different dynamic and the fact that everybody's on the same level as a shooter on mm. Halo, depending on what weapon you have, as opposed to the class system. And Overwatch, which I wonder if there would be a way to do, like if 343 comes up with a way to create different types of classes, much like uh, if you remember the Halo Reach multiplayer, which I loved because they allowed you, you know, you did two, three different types of classes. I can't even believe that went away. That was probably one of the best innovations for a shooter. Now we're having to relearn how to use the grappling hook as opposed to the jetpack boost that used to get us on top of the highest place to snipe people at our earliest convenience. But still, I think it's a, a lot better game than I thought it was going to be. And hell, as soon as I'm done with this podcast, I will be going to play for a little while just because it's still that good. And I will say that the problem is they gave us so much stuff up front that they're going to have to calibrate sort of the, the season because yeah, that's what we're running into now. It's Everybody's you know, we're already maxed out. Even on the weekly stuff, everybody's mm-hmm. already maxed out. So what is the benefit to continuing to come back to play? Yeah, They may just need to, and you know, it could be one part, we were all just so hungry to play Halo and so much XP was flowing that everybody got everything. They got to level 100 a lot faster than they probably should have. Yeah. To your last point, they recalibrated the level up system to accommodate those that were fairly aggravated about the amount of time it took to level up. But this is where we are. Here we are. Everybody's through a level 100. And I think we're only we're not even a full six months into the first season. We're not. Mm. So they're going to have to do some things. And, and God forbid this uh, Overwatch 2 beta ends up being something everybody wants to play because all it takes is that one little thing to shift the balance of power. Yeah. In a world where Microsoft owns 
both Overwatch and Halo. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily a conceit that they're worried about. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, obviously yeah. it looks good for their new product, but Halo is still the crown jewel of the Xbox marketing persona. So at this point, they need a win with that game. 343 Industries needs a win with that game. Because if, if it ends up being something where people just don't really give a shit at the end of the day, then 343 Industries could go away and be replaced by one of the many different acquisitions they made. Imagine if... It's software. You know, Activision Blizzard took over making Halo. Completely different game. Give it the Treyarch. Treyarch can make a Halo. Yeah. Maybe. You want to make a Halo? Give it to Machine Games. Yeah, that's what I said. It, okay. It's software. Give it those yeah. people. Okay. It'd be crazy as shit, though. A lot of metal. No, oh, imagine if Infinity Ward was still Infinity Ward. Oh, God. I could only yeah, have to respawn now. All right. My God. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that has been the games we have been playing. That Oh, my neck just cracked. Jesus. Oh, Here's a whiplash. <laughs> why did, that you, has why did you do that to been, yourself? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that has been another episode of our illustrious Press X and Start podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. If you miss anything, you can find all the details and more on our website at pressx2start.com. You can also go to the, uh, the the cool place, which is youtube.com, and, and you can find our our podcast. Well, you know, you should be watching it right now, so you shouldn't even have to you shouldn't have to worry about any of this. But uh, right. what you should worry about is hitting that like button and hitting that subscribe button if you haven't, and then hitting that notification bell. Because if you do all those three things, then you know you're just you're just great. Um, yeah, with that being said, uh, Shimbo, again, tell them where they can find your great content. Find all my great and fantastic content at neverdawned.net. Awesome. All right. Well, you, uh, you be safe. You take care. You wash your hands. You wear that mask. Peace out. Take care, everybody.